Our Old Testament reading today is from the only Italian prophet, Malachi. That's a joke. No, no. I said, I was going to see if you were paying attention. His name is Malachi, but this is my favorite joke. Malachi. Um, the only Italian one. Anyway, uh, from the book of... I told Peter I was going to tell that joke, so it's okay. I was allowed. Uh, the, the reading today is from Malachi 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like washer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, before our worship service, uh, we were reviewing Emily and I, the, uh, the worship service, and she pointed out that, you know, that last book of the Old Testament, and she said, that's Malachi, the, the Italian prophet. And I said, I dare you to say that to the congregation. Well, when you give Emily Zinda a, a dare, you know, this is, uh, this is what happens. I'll, I'll remember that as we, uh, turning our attention now to the, New Testament reading, this is taken from the Gospel according to John chapter 1, the first chapter, verses 1 through 9, and then uh, we'll continue to verse uh, 15. So listen now to the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Skipping down to verse 15. John testified to him and he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your discerning Holy Spirit be upon us, Heavenly Father, that we can understand more fully your word for us. In the name of Jesus, our hope. Amen.
So the Gospel of John, more than the other three Gospels, focuses on the divinity of Jesus. And you see this in these opening verses, which I shared with you just a moment ago. It talks about Jesus, the Word, was with God from the very beginning. All that the things that were made were made through him. Without him was not anything made which was made. Jesus, the Gospel of John claims Jesus as the light of God himself. And with the coming of Jesus, the Gospel affirms the light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And this is what we proclaim during the, this season of hope and expectation, that this Son of God jumped from the balcony of heaven and landed on this planet in human flesh. This word lived among us full of grace and truth. Yet amidst these stunning claims about who Jesus is, is the mention of another person. And this person's name is John. The writer of the gospel wants to make it clear this man, John, was not the light, but rather he was the one who bore witness to the light. He was not the word made flesh, but the one who bore testimony about that word. And yet you have to think that that John had some kind of prominence to be able to be mentioned right up alongside the name of Jesus and all these affirmations that John's gospel makes about him. We wonder, what was it about this man, John, that the gospel writer would give him such a prominent place? Well, the first glimpse we get of John the Baptist is that he's not a very attractive person. Okay? The Bible says that he wore a leather belt around his waist. His clothing was made of camel's hair. He lived in the desert and ate wild locusts and honey with hair and beard that had never been cut or washed. And the words that John spoke to people who came out there, you know, to listen to him were not very attractive words either. His message was to tell the people who came to listen to him that they weren't worthy of the God they worshipped. One gospel account says that John called the people who were listening to them, him, a brood of vipers. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath of God, which was to come. Now, I would like you to consider some of the Christmas cards that you have received throughout your lifetime from various people, friends and relatives. Maybe you, uh, you know, have, have had your share of Christmas cards with Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the manger, or, or maybe a, a visual of the of the uh, you know, shepherds watching their flocks by night or the wise men making their visit to the baby Jesus. But I would wager not a one of you have received a Christmas card with this guy's picture on it. 
I mean, can you imagine receiving a Christmas card from John the Baptist? You know, Merry Christmas, season's greetings from our family to yours, you brood of vipers. Everything I know about John the Baptist is makes me think I would have gone out of my way not to see him. You know, he sounds too much like those street evangelists who hold their Bible in one hand, standing on the corner, and they and they kind of run and get into your face to tell them that you better change or bad things are going to happen. But you know, there's a a major difference between John and these self-appointed prophets who get in your face. John the Baptist lived in the desert. And people had to go out and see him in order to listen to what he had to say. You wonder why they would take the effort to do this. They came out of their towns and villages to hear this harsh message that John had for them. Who warned you to flee from the wrath of God which is to come? Repent and be baptized. However harsh John's message was to the people, they were listening. And in their brokenness, in their emptiness, in their hurt, they obeyed. And they were baptized in the muddy waters of the river Jordan. Dozens and dozens of people coming to him to receive this baptism of repentance. And so it wasn't long before John became the center of people's attention. They began to wonder, is he the long-awaited Messiah? The one that we have been hoping for for all these many years. The religious leaders, they resided in the city, and they were seeing all this fervor of enthusiasm for John, and they began to wonder, what is it about this guy? who lives out there in the desert, that people are going out to see him and receive this baptism in the River Jordan. The Bible portrays a scene where these religious leaders in their long flowing black robes make their trek out there into the desert where John lived. And when they found him, they asked him, Are you the anointed one of God? Are you the one upon whom we are to place our hopes as a people, as the Savior of the world? And John's response was, no. I am but a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. The one who comes after me, he says, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandal." John understood his role as the one who prepared the way for Jesus. He was not the light. He came to bear witness to the light. You know, there are two scenes in the Bible which I think really demonstrate, you know, the character that John was and what he understood his role to be in relation to Jesus. The first occurs when John is standing with two of his own disciples, just as Jesus would have disciples. John had his own close followers as well. And these two disciples are standing there with John, and John sees Jesus. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And these two disciples leave John and follow Jesus. 
They depart from the witness and follow the Lamb. The second occurs when people again are approaching John, wondering about what his purpose is, and they also are noticing now how Jesus is drawing people's attention. And they're saying, John, don't you have a, a problem with this? That uh, you know, the people who were coming to hear you and, 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 and receive your baptism, now they're going to Jesus. And he says, no. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Messiah, but have been sent ahead of him. I am a friend of the bridegroom, and the bride, friend of the bridegroom rejoices at his voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. And then he says this, He must increase, and I must decrease. This is the greatness of John the Baptist. Even as people were willing to bow down to him as the Messiah, he refused it. When people were willing to praise him as their new king and savior, he deflected that praise and instead deferred to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, John knew that his life was compromised. Just like all the other people that he was preaching to, he was a member of the brood of vipers himself. And that's why he says, one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. And that's why, you know, when Jesus came to John to receive his own baptism, John said to him, I should be baptized by you. John knew what his role was. And we know this is not naturally what we humans do. In fact, it runs counter to what we are encouraged to do. And that is to grab all the attention that you can get to be the person that you want to be. In the world of competition, you must increase at every opportunity and make the other guy decrease. You know, I don't think I've heard a campaign speech any time recently where a politician is uh, saying about one of his political colleagues He must increase and I must decrease. In a world of self-fulfillment, you know, we are told to pour every, you know, life experience and abundance into ourselves so that we can be the happiest people that we can be. And if it means you have to trample down somebody else to get it, well, that's what you have to do. Not so with John the Baptist. You know, he never lost sight of who he was and who Jesus was in relationship to him. John the Baptist, he learned the art of pointing. Now, this is an ancient portrait of John, and in some respects, it appears it's not stating very much. But in reality, it speaks volumes as to the kind of person that he was. Notice that he points away from himself. He points to the one who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. You know, to me, this visual of John at the Jordan and in his portrait here is what the Christian life should be about. Learning to point, not to ourselves, but to the one who is the source 
of the good that we are and have the potential to be in this person, Jesus. Now, can you imagine if the words of John were written on the walls of rooms where people in power make decisions about the future of our country and our world? Christ is greater than I. Or if they were inscribed on the tables where uh, in boardrooms where major corporations make decisions that will impact thousands of people. Might not be a bad idea for it to be written down on some pulpits too, as well. If they were taken seriously, we would have to think this would be a different kind of world that we're living in. And we know that's not realistic because we don't have control over other people's actions or motives, but we can control our actions and our motives. And we can inscribe these words within ourselves, on our very hearts, our minds, and our souls as we relate to God and other people. The witness of John is that if we want to embrace the word who became flesh, it's not about us. It's not about us rising up, but kneeling down. You know, there's an old uh, Protestant cathedral in Copenhagen. And when you stand on the right transept and, and observe this you know, beautiful marble carved uh, figure of Jesus, you can, can't see his face. And when you come and stand in front of that Jesus, you can't see his face either. It's tilted forward. The only way you can look up into that face is if you kneel down on the kneeler that is before that statue. This was the message and what he lived, what John did and lived. And that's why Jesus later on would say of, of John, there was no one greater born of woman than he. He was a burning and shining lamp, said Jesus. When we learn the art of kneeling down and pointing away from ourselves, then we have captured the meaning of John's witness, which should be ours also. You know, after the baptism of Jesus, the voice of John grows fainter and fainter. In fact, he eventually gets arrested and is executed. The one who had bore witness to Jesus, the one who prepared the way for his coming, kind of walked off the stage and allowed Jesus to fulfill God's plan of redemption. And in John's mind, He was good with that. Amen. Thank God for the witness of John the Baptist. Amen.